Well, hello there, housers, and welcome to another episode of On the Way Home. I am your host, Michael Braithwaite. I hail from a great organization called Blue Door. Uh, Blue Door is an organization that's been around for 41 years, operating just north of Toronto in York, Hill, and Durham, uh, offering our most vulnerable support around housing of all sorts, emergency, transitional, longer term, supportive. Um, we have a program called Inclusion, INN Inclusion. That's a fairly new for 2S, LGBTQ plus youth, supportive and affordable housing there. We have a really cool construction social enterprise that not only gets people into the trades where they can build the affordable housing we need across the country, but lifts them out of poverty because it pays a living wage right out of the gate and is very meaningful. It's homelessness prevention at its best. So pretty cool. Hats off to the over 100 people at Blue Door doing grassroots amazing work across many different communities. Uh, you can check us out at bluedoor.ca. We run this podcast in partnership with incredible folks led by the fearless Tim Richter at the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness. Check out what they do at caeh.ca. They have a huge conference coming up in uh, the fall uh, in Halifax. The program's out. They've got incredible speakers um, from all over the world covering various different topics. It's the largest conference uh, in the sector. It's so cool. You want to uh, check that out. You want to sign up now. Hopefully, you can still get the early bird discount, but it's worth it regardless. Check that out and much, much more. They do all sorts of advocacy work. Uh, recently, when uh, the city of Barrie uh, was looking at passing a bylaw to ban people from giving, and they were going to fine people for giving out water or food or, or money to uh, people experiencing homelessness, CAH did an incredible job of you know advocacy across the country, and and, and you know, and fortunately. Because of that work and that groundswell, uh, the council backed off from that. So they do that work. If you want to become a built for zero community, and let me tell you, you do, uh, they can help you with that. And they've done that in so many different places that have reduced chronic homelessness, reduced veterans homelessness, reduced homelessness as a whole. So check it out, caeh.ca. Blue Door and CAH do this podcast together, and it is on the way home. We have incredible guests every week. Uh, we have lived experts, people that share their lived history with us. We have uh, researchers. We have people that are running incredible programs, rising to the challenges that face us. And there's a lot right now across the country. Uh, and they share that. And so hopefully we can learn each episode, grow, create awareness, educate, and face these challenges together in the battle to prevent and end homelessness. This week, uh, we have two incredible guys that, that join us. Um, Brian and Carl, and they've been together 49 years. Um, we know that people experiencing homelessness, 2S, LGBTQ plus individuals experiencing homelessness are way overrepresented when we do point in time counts, uh, anywhere from say 17 to 40% of people that experience homelessness will identify as being from the queer community. Um, and we have worked hard and we continue to work hard and have a lot more work to do to make sure we're running programs that are supportive of people from the community. Uh, but that wasn't always the case. Um, and I think as we reflect, you know, um, as we record this podcast, uh, Pride Parade in Toronto saw hundreds of thousands of people. It was incredible. York Pride Parade had a, a great turnout and groundswell of support. The Yukon just had their first parade. There's parades across Canada. There's a ton of support, and it's so heartwarming and awesome to see. Uh, but it wasn't always this way. Uh, and why it's so important to have individuals like Brian and Carl 
tell their story of coming out, of coming together, of hiding their relationship, of they were both teachers, they couldn't tell anyone. Carl said he couldn't be his full self the whole time he was teaching. He could never talk about his weekends or his life and share that with students for fear of losing his job or getting hurt reprisal. Uh, Brian tells me the story on the podcast of, you know, thinking a principal was great. And then uh, him talking about how uh, anyone uh, from anyone uh, when the AIDS crisis was happening and saying that, you know, hopefully we'll wipe out gay men. Um, and him, you know, because of that, leaving the school, going to teach somewhere else. But they talk about the hope too, and all the things that began to change, and how the unions began, you know, began to give them equal rights, and things happening. And, and uh, to Pierre Trudeau saying the state has no business in the, the bedrooms of Canadians, and how that was a shocker uh, back then for any country's leader to say that, and ours did. Um, you know, they remain incredibly hopeful. They talk about it being illegal. Uh, when uh, they were young and they first came out, they both grew up in small towns that were not exactly open uh, to uh, coming out or for anyone to um, be who uh, they were. They are, um, and so the story is incredible. But they are very hopeful. They talk about things changing and how they met, um, and 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 they've endured. And now they're celebrating in 2024. They'll be together 50 years. And they were they uh, and they got married as soon as they were able to. Um, and they talk about how their families, um, Brian's family, uh, from mother from England, dad was a vet. Uh, Carl talks about his mom coming to terms with that because it was even tougher being from those small towns. The challenges they had to overcome, and they share that much, much more. I think it's so important for us to, to learn and understand how far we've come, but how far we still have to go. Uh, an incredible podcast. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's go to On The Way Home. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Uh, I've known the two of you uh, for about just over 20 years. Um, and, and I was so excited when he said you'd come on the show and talk about uh, your journey. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being here. Yeah. Uh, we always ask all our guests when they come on, because uh, it means a little different to everyone, and you can decide who wants to answer first. Uh, and that is just, when you think of home, what does that mean to you? Uh, well, for the almost 50 years, home has been this guy. Um, <laughs> The uh, structure matters to us. You know, we started out in a little tiny apartment on Sherburn at um, Shooter, and it was Carl's apartment. But we always, uh, he'd already created a lovely home for himself when I met him. And then, uh, you know, we had a little duplex that we rented at Papen Eastern, and we turned that into a lovely little jewel of a place um, with our landlord's permission and he was very grateful actually to have a gay coffin in the house in 1975 and but you know really it's about people and it's about um feeling safe and um feeling welcome and secure and, it, and we try to do that when we have people in our home as well so that's what it's to me we moved to the country uh in uh, uh parksville and Carlisle. In, 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 and Carlisle. And uh, we, uh, we bought a home um, with the kind graces of some neighbors who um, loaned us the money. Um, and we accepted it and we became responsible and it became our home for 30 years. 
before we went, before we came to British Columbia. Yes. Yeah, you you guys both, like, just following your journey through social media and seeing, I mean, you moved across, you literally moved across the country really? uh, when you retired, you moved across there, and, and just the pride and joy, and I see, um, you know, when, when I think, when I think, you guys actually make me think of home a lot, because you celebrate that, whether it's your garden, uh, Carl's baking, Brian's art, <laughs> uh, Carl's piano play, like, just all the different things you do. You guys really know how to live life, let me tell you. Well, thank you. <laughs> we had some great teachers too, Mike. Yes. Lots of wonderful um, people to model that for us. Carl's mother was a wonderful homemaker, as were my parents. They were in the same house for 50 years. In fact, that gave us the courage uh, in our 50s, and Carl was 60, to make the move across the country because we realized that as long as we were together, we could go and build a home anywhere. And even in our retirement, which is when I retired in 2004, um, we we're coming back from my parents and, and Carl asked, are we going to be in our house for, because we'd already been there 20 years maybe at the time, are we going to be there f forever like your parents have been? And I said, not necessarily. How do you feel about it? And he said, yeah, let's think about that. So we just literally kind of looked around the country and, found a growing zone that worked for us, which was the best for uh, gardening all year round and um, and being outside and being active and, you know, staying fit in our retirement. So, we, you know, we, we made that move. Um, some people thought we were crazy. We didn't know anybody here. <laughs> Maybe we were, but we were feeling kind of led to uh, keep trying new stuff, you know. We like being home, but we're also kind of adventurous at the same time. Very cool. And as you you've said, it's home's not really about the four walls and the roof. It's about the people, right? Okay. And, and it's about the two of you and the, the community you you create. Let's talk about let's talk about community. So across the country right now and over the summer, it's wonderful to see. Uh, as we record this, Toronto Pride was Saturday. York Pride was Saturday before. Yukon just had its first Pride parade ever. Um, they're happy. You see this groundswell, and it's beautiful to see. You feel the love and the celebrations and those things happening. Um, and I think for people to see that, they're saying, "Wow!" Uh, and for younger people, and I was telling you when we were chatting before, I was saying, "My uh, so my daughter uh, Irene." Uh, is, is gay and she told us that once uh and it wasn't a big coming out story right so i think uh for her when she told us and it was pretty straightforward it's like hey i'm going on a date and we said cool and she said it's with a, a girl and we said be home by 11 because it doesn't really matter as long as you know you're happy and safe um but i mean for her and i think she was actually disappointed that it wasn't more like traumatic but um <laughs> but the, i mean for her i think that the safety she might take a lot of that for granted and she sees the parade the young people see this and they see this great love and support and we'll talk about you know there still needs to be a lot more of that but has i mean you guys have been together 49 years right that's right 49 years coming up on four that's right 1974 we met so next year's year wow like almost 50 years and i want to talk about that journey because as people celebrate this it has not i mean 49 years you've endured and the things you've seen we want to talk about that because i think when people appreciate too the past now people have endured to come through uh there's a greater understanding as well so let's as much as you're uh comfortable uh maybe you could share your stories of growing up where you grew up and and you know when you were when you came out and, and understood you know and you were well 
don't get comfortable, right? Because that comes at different times. Uh, but you know, if you're comfortable sharing your stories, um, sure, that'd be great. Can I start? Yes, you start. Okay. I um, I was born in Tulsa, Ontario, and uh, I was born in 1945. So uh, my coming out story uh, did not happen in Tulsaburg. It happened when I went to Western at uh, in London, and uh, my mother had been influential in you know, forming me uh, because she had always encouraged me to be an independent thinker. And so it wasn't quite what she expected, but um, she eventually uh, fell in love with Brian. And uh, and so we, we have been well-directed and uh, I'm so grateful for not just for my my mother's kindness, but for the kindness of every, every teacher, every uh, academic who has uh, patted me on the back and welcomed me into my life journey with them. <laughs> okay, well, uh, I grew up in Sault Ste. Marie. I'm a Northern Ontario boy. Although some people in Ontario don't think that, or don't think that's really Northern Ontario, but it is. And um, I was right near Lake Superior. It was a hockey town and a steel town. My dad worked at the steel plant and my brother did too. And, um, and I worked there in the summers um, during university for a couple of years to make money to go back to school. Um, but you know, it was a hockey and steel town and it was, it was uh, tough for me in many ways because um, I wanted to figure skate. I didn't want to play hockey, although I could skate really well. You know, I was put on skates when I was two years old in the backyard rink, everybody had one, and uh, I was a good little skater. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, by the, by my mid-teens, I was really feeling like, I don't know how I ended up here, but this doesn't feel right. And and I made a plan to that I was gonna go to Toronto, because I, I somehow heard, and there was very little information, there was no internet then, we're, sort of, we're talking 1965, you can imagine, um, it was still all illegal. We were criminals in the eyes of the law, um, being gay. And uh, uh, but somehow I wanted to go to Toronto. I just felt like maybe that was a world where um, where I could uh, explore who I was freely, more freely, and um, and find a place for myself. So you know, I'm grateful to grow up in the north. I loved Lake Superior. It's where the Group of Seven painted. Um, a few decades before I was born, and then um, uh, spent lots of summers on the beach um, collecting agate at Lake Superior Provincial Park and Pancake Bay and Batchelana Bay. So I've got good memories of, of my childhood, but I definitely needed to go to a big center to uh, ultimately to come out. It took me a long time after I got there, but I did eventually come out. Um, did you want us to talk about coming out? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah if you, I mean, again, this is always we say it's just your total comfort. Uh, yeah, sure. I don't know. Comfortable. Yeah. I, um, uh, I, I took until I was 22 years old to come out because and it was a very important, long process for me. Um, I'd studied history at university, at York University. It was a liberal university. There was even a... a, a gay and lesbian dance in, in McLaughlin College where I was a resident. Uh, but I had a girlfriend at the time and I remember 
kind of peering over the balcony into the dark to <laughs> see these people that were same-sex couples dancing. And I knew that, I knew deep inside that something was going on. So um, I fortunately was living in my third year and beyond with a family in Etobicoke. And the mother of that family was a wonderful woman in her 50s. Her name was Brady. And I listened to her experiences in the United States with black people and her just her openness. And I eventually had the courage, once I had told my girlfriend that I didn't think we should continue, that um, you know, I thought it was gay. It was really hard to say, and she'd hardly blinked. And she got on the line with um, telephone, that is, with um, George Hislop and Peter Maloney, who were pioneers in LGBT history in Toronto. There was an office for the Community Homophile Association of Toronto, CHAT. It was a precursor to 519, and I had an appointment. She set it up. She had, she had a, she was a housewife in, in Etobicoke on the Kingsway, and she made this phone call and found out that there was going to be somebody that I could talk to and uh, set me up to go to my first dance, which was at the Chinese Cultural Center in behind Nathan's Phillips Square. There was this big empty hall, and I remember being terrified of walking up these steps um, to the second floor where there was a dance. It was just like a big hall, really, and um, terrible lots, <laughs> terrible sound system. And I was terrified and glued against the wall, kind of watching and waiting to, to meet somebody. So anyway, that was uh, my coming out story. It, it was... Uh, I was very fortunate. I had people that were, were there for me, even through helping me through my greatest fear about it. So I didn't I, look back after that. I'd just like to add that in the, uh, the mid sixties, when I came out um, with uh, a friend at Western, um, I was so, it was such a magical experience for me that I, I thought if this is what it means to, to be breaking the law in Canada, then I'm afraid that I'm gonna have to go that route because this is what I need to do. This is what I want to be. And um, I was ready to, uh, to go to jail for it uh, if I had to. Fortunately, that never came about, but uh, um, uh, I was ready. Well, wow. he was brave. <laughs> Well, I mean, if it's you're saying, listen, I need to be who I am, and if that means going to jail, then then so be it, right? And, and good for you for for having that strength. Now, so so you both uh, came out at university, and you have supports, which is wonderful, which means a lot, and not everyone has those, unfortunately. Um, and we see that. I mean, uh, part of so youth experiencing homelessness or, um, from the two SLGBTQ plus community are way overrepresented. A part of that is too, it's uh, the kids come out to their parents and, and they're not, they may have no street knowledge at all, right? They've grown up, they're doing well in school, they, you know, they have friends, they come out to their parents, they finally sum up the courage. And then parents are like, well, well you can't live here then, you know, unless you're not gay. And of course, as Carl's saying, well, it's who I am. Um, and so they end up on the street without any knowledge of what do I do now? Uh, and, and, and so they're in, in dire straits. So supports are, are, are huge. But you talk about, I mean, 
you had friends and there was like the, the language used, the homophile club. Um, and, and, and so when you, know, you come out to your friends, you're at university, uh, how do you share this? And were you nervous about talking to your family about it? Or did they kind of, you know, figure it out or, or not? Uh, I'll, okay, go I'll ahead. I'll start this time. Yeah, that was, uh, wasn't easy for me. Um, and my parents really struggled with it. They were in Northern Ontario. They didn't know, you know, there was, it was a very closeted, you know, world in, in Northern Ontario at that time. There was certainly no pride parade or, or uh, you know, it was something that um, a lot of shame and guilt and all of that was attached to. So um, it was tough for my parents um, and it didn't, it didn't go well, quite frankly, coming out. Um, my brother and sister supported us initially, eventually my parents did, but um, it was tough. And I know my parents were doing the best they could. Um, I think it was lonely for them. I, I, look, I think about it now and I think about how afraid they were uh, probably for, um, for me and eventually for both of us um, because I, I had decided I was coming out to them. When it, by, by the time I was 25, I'd been with Carl for a year and I decided I just, uh, I couldn't go back home unless they knew that this important person was in my life. And as hard as that was, and, and I anticipated that it was gonna be a tough time, um, I knew I had to do it. And I'm, I'm glad now, all those years later, that, that I did. And we all ended up in a far better place um, before my parents passed, just around, just before COVID. So we, um, you know, it all worked out, but it was, it was, it was a tough time for me. My coming out, um, the only person that mattered in my mind was my mother uh, because I didn't want to lose her uh, affection and her kindness towards me. And it took me about, about almost 10 years to come out to her. And when I did, she uh, had already knew, of course, as you might expect. <laughs> and she, uh, she said to me, Carl, it's okay. And I, I, I just, I broke down. Um, we cried in each other's arms. And, and then we moved on with our lives because from then on, it was open channel and I was able to share everything that was going on in my life with her. She was certainly our supporter mm -hmm. for every day uh, after I met her until she died, unfortunately, in 96. Um, but I did know her for 20 some years and she was an absolute ally for us and uh, vice versa, we hope. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project, or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Amazing. Well, you know, it's fun. sometimes I'll hear from people, well, I'm too old to change, or I'm too, which is absolutely not true. I'll tell you a good story of hope. 
we run a construction program uh, that gets people into the trades. Because part of the problem why we don't have housing across Canada is there's no one to build it. So we run this program that has multiple wins because they're going to build the housing that we need. And when they get into construction, they actually make a living wage, uh, youth and, and newcomers, and, and they can actually pull themselves out of poverty, right? And they have purpose, right? It's great. It's a great to be in trades. But we have a lot of uh, 2S LGBTQ plus youth that go into the trades. And the trades have not been known to be open to people of color, Black people, Indigenous people, uh, and the 2S LGBTQ plus community, women. Uh, but they're really trying. They're making an effort. And it was it was a beautiful thing to see. We had this uh, older kind of shop guy at what at, at uh, uh, Leona 506, Ron, and, and he was great. And the kids loved him. And he's like, all right, tell me again. Is it is it they, them? And, and how do I, you know, and but trying and making an effort. And Ron been doing this for like 40 some odd years. And so it can happen. And if they're open, if you're open and and, and to change it. So it was really cool to see the kids having fun with Ron and helping him and, and acknowledging that he's not going to get it perfect, right? But at least he's making an effort and to see. Well, you, yeah. You know, when you talk about, about this friend of yours, this this uh, tradesman, I'm uh, reminded of my mother, like much later in her life. And my mother came to World War II in, in England. So she was a bomb girl, actually, for age 14 in England, Northern England. Um, 1939, and married my dad, who was a Canadian vet. But um, in her late 80s, um, my mother had never used a computer or used a typewriter or anything. She was, you know, one of the women of that generation weren't really allowed to work because they, uh, a man was seen as the one that had to provide for his wife and children. And so women, in my mother's case, she didn't drive, she didn't uh, have a employment or anything like that. And um, she was about 89 at the time. And I remember her saying, I've given myself a birthday, a Christmas present early this year. And I said, what is it? And she said, I'm, I'm getting an iPad. And I said, what? <laughs> and she said, yes. Um, well, she said, I'm tired of asking your brother to bring his laptop over so I can see what you guys are doing and your home and your Carl's desserts and all of that stuff. <laughs> so um, I said, but mom, you've never used a, a computer before. And she said, that's OK. I've got a guy young man from Staples is going to come and um, give me a tutorial. And sure enough, like I'm talking the next day, my mother somehow managed to get onto Facebook. She provided, she created a profile. He must've helped her. And her first post was Iris is here. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh my God, you know, she lived for another five years. And um, that made such a difference in our, our communication together. Really? That the last five years of her life. Yeah, and even though we were 3,000 kilometers apart, you know, she was taking a much active, very active role in our in our life um, and with our friends. Of course, everybody wanted to be friends with Iris. So. Yeah, you're right, people. Change is always possible, always. Well, I, I think it's so interesting, too. You both come from small towns that notoriously, especially back then, were not, as Brian, you very kindly said, we're not really open to... You know, so I would say it was terrifying. Even I had a friend um, in uh, the early or the late 90s in St. Catharines, and, and he came out. We, we all knew he was gay, but he came out of it. You know, he said, I said, why didn't you come out before? He said, he said, St. Catharines wasn't really a, a welcoming place. He said, mm -hmm. I'm but he, could, he came out when he came to Toronto. He said, because the exception, you know, like I, I'd be accepted and I wouldn't fear for my life and the people around because it was also St. Catharines was a uh, GM town. 
right? So very yes. much. So again, not just just stereotype, but not really open. A lot is has changed. But you guys both coming from small towns makes this journey. You meet in Toronto. I love the story. If you don't mind sharing, uh, we got into a bit. Now, now for listeners, we tried that. We were uh, chatting with uh, Carl and Brian before on the podcast, and unfortunately, we had some tech difficulties. So we we get a second shot at this, and I'm so grateful. It's, it's such a wonderful story. But if you don't mind sharing a little bit about how the two of you met, uh, 49 plus years ago. Yes, you can. Okay, so I'm not correcting. Yes, you listen carefully. <laughs> um, he's my editor. Um, okay, so uh, it was early September. I can't remember exactly the day, but it was definitely the beginning of September, late August. And I was living at um, 242 Sackville in Cabbage Town. I was going back to school. I had my degree, but now I was going to art college. I got accepted into OCA at the time, now OCAD, and for fine arts. And um, so I couldn't afford to keep an apartment. That was my first year coming after coming out i had an apartment up at uh broadway and eglinton area and anyway i moved in with an, a slightly older gay couple that um were great friends of mine and they were also very sociable and um it was a saturday morning i had probably been at a disco somewhere the manatee at the time that nobody will know where that is but anyway it's on st joseph street and it was a dance club and had drag shows. Anyway, I was probably had been there on Friday night and Saturday morning, I'm sitting around in their kitchen um, having my cereal and the door opens at the front and there's two young, lovely young men come in. Carl was one of them. Carl was carrying a couple of bags of groceries and they were coming for breakfast. And I was of course the, the fifth wheel feeling sorry for myself so I quickly excused myself in my house coat, kind of embarrassed actually, because it just, you know. Anyway, went upstairs, called my friend Brady out in Etobicoke and said, they're having company again. Can I come over and have lunch with you? And so that's that's what happened. That was my first encounter with him. I, I have to ask though, uh, knowing the bathrooms back in the day, were the, was that one of the shorty robes? It wasn't. But he didn't take notice of my legs. Uh, it was a blue terry cloth. They call it my Marilyn Monroe robe. Only it wasn't white, it was blue. Yeah. I, uh, what Brian didn't know was that the guy I was with was a, a casual acquaintance, really. We had spent a little time together, but we weren't close friends. Um, but uh, Tony had said to me, why don't we go and make breakfast at these two guys place over in uh, Cabbage Town. And uh, I thought, well, it's a little strange, but uh, if you think so, then uh, yeah, we'll do it. And when we came in with our groceries, um, we hadn't met John or Bob uh, at that time, um, but we quickly got to uh, to get on with breakfast. And, and, and Brian came downstairs and of course, I noticed his legs. Uh, <laughs> um, I was preparing breakfast for five. And uh, uh, we had five, but there was only four. Brian never showed up. So. <laughs> I know. You missed your first date. You missed the I first did. date. However, he came, as, as I said, these guys were partiers. So like two weeks later, now I'm in my first week of school, I think. And... Uh, 
up to here with homework and assignments. And oh, Saturday, they're having a party. And who should show up at the party along with, I don't know, 50 or 60 other people? It was crazy times, the Saturday, I'll tell you. Um, it was this guy, but he was alone. The other guy was at the party, but clearly they weren't together. So somehow Carl and I ended up uh, in the same room together, and that was great. I said to him, uh, what do you think of the music? <laughs> and he says, not much. Uh, it was, it was it was common stuff that was going on at the time. And I said, well, I've, I've got some uh, lovely tapes out in my, in my car. Oh, yeah. She said, do you like classical? Uh -huh. oh, and I said, well, I don't know a lot about it. But I mean, it was him asking me. So I said, yes, I am. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I invited him out to the car. And um, our, our, our little fingers connected. you telling that? <laughs> <laughs> and they just all took off from there. Um, I, invited him, I eventually invited him over for supper uh, in my apartment, which was... Yeah, eventually. It took you two weeks I'm to sure call, and I, I thought you were never going to call me, but yeah. anyway, never mind. Yeah, I did call him, and uh, he said I, he'd love... He'd love. I said, how would you like to come over tonight? And I said, I, I could. I have I, I was also working at the time, so I was I had marked quite a number of papers, and I didn't have a lot of time, but um, I said I would, and um, we acquainted, got a little bit more acquainted, and then I invited him over for uh, a supper at my place, and he came, <coughs> and he never went home. <laughs> <laughs> no, every time, okay. <laughs> Every, every morning he would say, uh, would you like to come back for dinner tonight? And I'm like, okay. So um, <laughs> by Christmas time, I think I officially left um, Sackville, packed whatever few things I had and moved moved in with Carl. So, you know, that's not true about lesbians and the U-Hauls. Uh, it's also uh, <laughs> gay men in the 70s were like that too. Basically, you know, anyway, it felt right. I just knew he was very special and it was, it was, um, well, you could t let me tell you guys. Forty nine years later, obviously, you know you you're finishing each other's sentences. You're, <laughs> I can see that it was it was meant to be. But let's say this has not been. I mean, you know, you got together and without his challenges, right? Not for your relationship, but I mean, you now have a serious relationship. You have to maneuver. And I remember, you know, stories of uh, Carl and Brian, both of you sharing that you could not exactly tell the world about your relationship, say, at work. Can you, you share a little bit about some of those challenges you face? Sure. Well, <clears throat> I, uh, you could lose your job if they knew, if, if people found out you were gay. And uh, especially teaching. Especially teaching, because you, you had young people under your, um, under your belt. Um, and I respected that. But at the same time, um, I never came out to any of my students, um, which was the right thing to do at the time, because that's not what I was hired to do. Um, so uh, I did miss, at the end of my career, I, I could have easily said, the one thing I miss most about teaching was that I was never able to be a complete human being in front of my students. I was never able to have a relationship. I could never talk about the nice weekend I just had um, or anything like that. It was yeah. Speaking about yeah. Speaking of pronouns, we had to you know you one would 
I mean, we didn't, but there were people that we knew that would change the pronouns from he to she, you know, on Monday morning when asked what they had done and in order to protect their jobs. That's pretty horrible, you know? So I think about the movies like Boys in the Band and things like that. That was pretty, you know, pretty authentic, um, what I saw. Um, so we, I mean, that's one reason that our home was such an important place was that was the one little place we could cocoon and just be ourselves. And we actually lived many miles from our jobs, almost our whole, really our whole teaching careers. I, I worked um, in Brantford and in Guelph. So that was quite a commute from Carlisle. And Carl uh, commuted from downtown Toronto to out to, to Peel, where he, um, that was his first teaching job was at Coth Park and then uh, Applewood Heights. Um, and, then and, then and then John Fraser. But in all those cases, we were living at a far distance from our thing. So we could, you know, go and shop and sort of have a uh, normal, more normal life that way, rather than have to uh, skulk around and, you know, not be together. I mean, we wanted our free time to be at least together and, and not have to worry about that. So you were strategic with how you did that. We right? had to be strategic. Yeah, and it was expensive because we had to do, maintain two vehicles to do that always. You know, we re- went through cars really quickly. Um, in 1985, I was uh, working on my first probationary contract in teaching. So I went into teaching later. Carl got, it, got me into teaching with a night school job at his high school at Maplewood. I was doing calligraphy. and um, But eventually I went... I sort of created a, home, a road show with my calligraphy classes and was teaching in Halton and Hamilton and where else? Um, Peel and yeah, those three boards um, until I decided I really liked teaching and I was going to go back and get my nine degree at 32 from U of T for teaching. So um, I did that. So anyway, my first couple of years of full-time teaching were on a probationary contract. I don't know. It probably it's the same. I don't know if that's the same today. But for, for the mm-hmm. first two years, you were you know basically assessed almost as a student teacher. And any grounds for dismissal uh, uh, could be there. They never had to justify it. Being gay was one of them for sure. And they could just call you and say, based on a rumor, we're not renewing your contract next year. Well, that meant that you had to start all over again, but it also meant that you had to, if you were going to apply to another board, you had this, you know, nefarious reason for dismissal in the, in the previous board. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a tough, that was 1985. And, uh, uh, I remember sadly, um, it was a time of Rock Hudson coming, being flown back to Canada to uh, the U S from Paris. He was, already he had been diagnosed with AIDS. And uh, in fact, I just watched a documentary on that the other night and didn't realize he had to hire his own 747 because he needed a stretcher. He was so sick and no airline in North America would bring or, or Europe would bring him back, would bring him back. They refused anybody who had AIDS at that time to travel. So he had to spend a quarter of a million dollars, $250,000 US, in 1985 to have himself brought back where he died a few weeks later. But um, it was, a, it was a, such a different world, you know. Things. You had a, a principal. Yes, oh, yes, that's right. Thank you for reminding me. That's where I was going with that. And, and during recess one day, we watched 
it was a teacher's break. You know, we were in the staff room and, and the principal at the time, who was a young guy, actually, he was just a few years older than I was, he might have been 40. He said, you know, that's good that he was dying and that this is something that all gay people needed to do, you know, just to clean up the world. And it's just like, I got to get out of here. I, and I did. I, I left. I actually left and went to another board to teach because I felt like, you know, I was in my 30s. I wasn't going to put up with that. And I knew that that um, I didn't want to work for somebody like that. But it, it blindsided me. I didn't I didn't realize that that um, that's how somebody felt that this particular guy felt. I really got away along with him in every other way. But um, so, yeah, it was. Uh, it was a tough time for us. It was. It when was do you a, feel like things started changing a little bit towards the end of your your teacher careers? Were you feeling like what were you? I mean, now you see it's, it's wonderful to see gay straight alliances. Um, you see P flag and other things happening in schools. Um, you know, so, so did you see that towards the end of your career, some steps being taken and, and people uh, a little the acceptance growing? Yes, I. You know, in the early years, um, you you could probably come out to some of your colleagues, um, and most of us did. Um, I'm not saying it was always possible, but uh, you found support amongst your teaching staff. And uh, although you you didn't have the same support from students um, for the same reasons, uh, it was a good thing that uh, that. Teachers knew how to teach. Well, they knew how to treat each other. And uh, yeah. eventually, um, when, when things began to change politically from in Ottawa, um, then it became, we became citizens. Well, there were, there were also movements within the teachers' unions. Um, one of the mm -hmm. things that happened was, it was, it was there were allies that we had, straight teachers that were, we're advocating on our behalf as a gay couple. So um, the OSSTF in, in Ontario was instrumental in helping to change laws federally and provincially. Um, and they were sort of the front runners of providing uh, same-sex couples with the same rights. It's the same uh, obligations to the couples that they had to heterosexual couples. So one of the things was the the survivor pension benefits, which until, um, gosh, the 90s, at least the late 90s, um, Carl and I were subsidizing the pension plans of our colleagues who were straight. And the best that I could do for Carl was leave him a $40,000 uh, kind of annuity, uh, kind of an insurance plan, but that was it. And um, our colleagues, could their pensions would would be there for their partners or wives or husbands for the rest of their lives, and um, so we saw some some great advocacy from and some of them were our friends. I mean, uh, Betty Ann Bushell in Hamilton, who worked in the Peel Board, she was instrumental in in advocating for us um, on that. So we've had lots of you know lots of we, things happened in our lifetime in teaching and and since that we never ever imagine we just couldn't have imagined um what happened um in terms of good things you know the things that changed our life and 
made our retirement what it is. You know, that we, we live uh, with certain degree of security and financial stability that we would not have had um, if those laws hadn't changed. So um, we saw lots of hopeful things happening and we were kind of astounded actually, certainly being able to get married and all that stuff and as we, well. We never imagined that we would be where we are now at any point in our teaching career practically. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's been quite lovely and uh, we don't take for granted. No, we never take it for granted. Because sure. we know what it, it's like to not have it. And, you know, I was a student of history. I know what happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s, right up until, you know, 33 people in, in Germany. It was one of the most progressive um, countries in the world in terms of sex, um, sec, uh, accepting sexual variations and lifestyles and orientations and all of that. Um, what's you know quite closely resemble what's happening today and that's why you know i'll never take this for granted we all have to continue to um advocate stand up um call out um homophobia and transphobia whenever we see it and uh, explain to people why it is important to honor things like pronouns and so on that's part of the whole thing so important what you're saying uh both you around Germany being progressive and then how quickly people forget things can slide back. And I think sometimes you hear right now where people are like, do we still need the pride parade? Do we need, you know, to, and, and, and there's questions around that, but to your point, how quickly things can slide, what we saw happen in Germany and what we, we do see. I mean, recently where I am, the York uh, school board, Catholic school board yeah. would not raise the flag at their, their head office. Oh, yeah, we're following all of that out here. And believe me, it's just as much part of the news out here as, as, it, uh, as it is in Ontario. Um, yeah. I mean, I was just reading that the cost of security this year was double what it has been in the past for Pride because, because um, of those very things. Because there are, you know, there are hate groups. There are people who don't want us to, for for whom our lifestyles are frightening and they want to, you know, uh, have us disappear. And, you know, uh, so I'd, like, I'd like to say that uh, uh, the politicians uh, in Ottawa, uh, starting from, well, I would say Pierre Trudeau certainly, but it may have been building before then. But um, when he made the statement about the state has no business in the bedrooms of the nation, then things began to develop in a progressive way from that statement because he was speaking the truth. Mm. And, and many, many people who were colleagues of his accepted that. That was revolutionary at the time. It. Yeah, it was revolutionary well, at the time. I was 18 years old in Sault Ste. Marie, still in high school. And I, I remember that. I remember watching that in black and white on the CBC News. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, since then, I've realized through reading that um, it was setting shockwaves out into the rest of the world. Because really nobody in the Western world, certainly not a world leader, had ever said anything like that before. So, um, yeah. And so when um, it became, when we became citizens alongside of everybody else in the nation, um, we, that was, um, 
absolutely the essential thing for Canada to do. And no other nation has done it in quite that way. Um, but ever since it happened in Canada, Ryan and I have felt like whole citizens. Well, and it's one, one degree, one level of, um, one extra level of fear and, and so on. You know, um, it just it just provided a lot more security for us. Um, but again, you know, let's not take it for granted. No, we can't. Ever. Uh, you know, I have to say we're really, like, we love what you're doing, Mike. And, you know, we were inspired by what you're doing. We watched you at, at the YMCA as a CEO of YMCA, Executive Director at um, Waterdown Y, when we first met. Uh, over around 20 years ago and uh, and watched you go from strength to strength since then and, and you know we're planning in our in our estate planning we want it we are including blue door because we think it's such an important thing and you know we have a great um, pension from our teaching days in Ontario and we really feel I mean I well, I had come out at 22. I saw young, very young people out, much younger than I, in the clubs in Toronto in 1972, 73, when I was just coming out. And, um, you know, they were not, they did not enjoy the, the safety and security that I had. I had a nice, warm, clean bed to go home to at night, living with a family that loved me and, and accepted me. Um, for who I was and still do. And that's why we were back in Toronto last month was to see the daughter of Brady and her, her husband were celebrating big birthdays out in Old Mill. And, um, but, you know, I realized that that's, that, that problem has been going on for forever. And there were, there were street kids, uh, gay street kids, queer street kids out on uh, at Young and Bloor in 1972 when I was going to those clubs and they didn't have homes to go to even then. So it's, it's really important to um, support what you're doing. And um, in our case, put back uh, a little bit of what we have received and still receive from Ontario. Yeah. We are, uh, we're so, so grateful for that support and it means so much. And I tell you it guys, like we, sometimes it takes us a while to get it right, right. As a country, as like even as leaders in the community, um, because what we do is we, we created youth homelessness programs that would support, uh, but kids from the queer community would be like, <laughs> go in there. You know, I get it. If it, you might understand, but I'm going to get beat up by half the kids. I got to share a room. Uh, and then, you know, even then we think we're progressive and we said, yeah, but we have this one, uh, we, if you, if you need a uh, gender neutral washroom, just ask the key, uh, ask for the staff for the key. And they say, you know what, every time I do that, I'm coming out again. So even our best intentions are like, well, you know, I never thought of it because you didn't ask, Mike, because you yeah. didn't ask, you didn't ask anyone. But but we keep improving. So the inclusion house that we did was a result of we had not one but two research um, studies done where the kids were saying, we're not, we don't feel safe in traditional programs. There's different supports we need. Uh, we need staff that understand and, 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 and you know, can listen and and so um despite our best intentions that wasn't happening and you know what blue door did we said i said i don't need a third study because kids are are scared let's just do it because we couldn't find the funding and i'll tell you guys this is two years ago so we went out to find a house rent a house for the seclusion program and it took us almost a year because of homophobia and transphobia because even though we were saying to landlords we'll pay you a year in advance 
-hmm. It was just that fear still existed. And one of the best things that happened to us was the foundation stepped up and said, what's going to stop this program from continuing in the future? I said, well, we're at the mercy of a landlord. As soon as they kick us out, we could be waiting another year with kids who need a home now. Uh, so they gave us the money to buy that house, which is incredible. So now it's there forever. Um, and and it, it's great, right? And the kids have said, what a, what a game changer, right? Okay. So we have to continue through this work. And, and we look at, I think we've come so far. It's amazing. We look at, I think it was just last year that Canada finally banned conversion therapy. I mean, that's 2022. And that... Um, it was it was it just giving blood too? It was just last year or yes. just recently? Yes, yes. So that from 1981 on, we were not we had been blood donors, hadn't we? I had been, I had been a, a blood donor along with my family um, for for years, and all of a sudden we were told, "Your blood, we'll take your blood, but we'll only use it for experimental purposes." Yes. So it didn't, you know, you couldn't help a, you couldn't help a person with your blood. Yeah, which is anyway. And that went on till last year, right? From eighty-one to that's right. So, so you know, yes, uh, you know, and, and it's so wonderful having you on talking about. Uh, listen, still thriving, looking great. You're both. I I have no idea how you stay so fit with the pictures I see uh, on your social media of all the food. Well, we have to share our desserts for sure. <laughs> I mean, I make sure of it. We have a great neighbor who does all kinds of handy handyman stuff for us, which is terrific because we're neither of us can do much in that department. And you know, Graham comes over with an empty plate. I just call, I just text and say, Carl's baking, he arrives with his plate. <laughs> and his wife says, Keep keep doing what you're doing for those guys because we want some more dessert. So yeah, we're anyway, it's um it's a good life. Yeah. We're we're, we're very blessed. We have a very rich life and we live well, in a thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. I think it's so important for people to understand the challenges, uh, the great things that have happened, like the challenges that have happened, the great things that have happened, where we still need to go. Yes. Um, I, I think that, you know, a lot of uh, young people from the 2SHBTQ plus community, you know, can look up to the two of you to say 49 years. You persevere through some really, really tough stuff. Uh, <laughs> and one more year till 50 uh, it's incredible. It's an incredible story. And I think uh, I'm so glad that uh, you guys agreed to uh, share that. And for all you do uh, for, you know, you're, you're such a blessing to your community as well. Uh, just all the little pieces you bring and how involved you get. Uh, you truly make your community a home. So thank you for that. Well, thank you we too. admire very much, Mike, and all, all the best to everybody at Blue Door. And on the way home, thank you so much for that and, um, and for just reaching out for us. Yes. Thanks a lot. Appreciate Thanks, it. guys. Now, if people want to check out some of this stuff, I don't okay. know. You know, you you have great. Uh, so our listeners know uh, both artists in their own right, uh, musicians, artists, bakers, uh, multi-talented, and you share a lot of that on social media. If people wanted to check that out or support, where can they go? So you, for me, you would look for Brian Middleton Art. So my name is like Kate, so it's easy to remember now because everybody knows her name. So Brian Middleton Art. And also brianmiddletonart.com is, is my uh, website. So please check it out. And if you do, please say hello. I love to hear hearing the people and I will get back to you. I don't have a website. But you have but Instagram. I Do I? Yes, you do. He has Instagram. <laughs> Carl J. McLuhan. <laughs> As in Marshall McLuhan, another famous name. Very cool. Well, thank you so much, guys. Enjoy the rest of your day. And thanks for sharing and uh, joining with us.
Thanks, Thanks Mike. Thanks, Thanks, Mike. Mike. Say hi to Sylvia. Well, I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.